Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. We're having a few little technical difficulties this morning, but it's a wonderful day and we're almost maskless across the country. Uh, COVID is, seems to be dissipating and we're really, we're really happy about that. So I'm really, I'm happy to introduce my guest today, George Gergus from Indiana. Hi, George. Hi, Francie. How you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I'm, I'm excited, Francie. I'm on the Francie Kaler show. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I, so I think funny. I reached the zenith of my career oh, as well, an investigator. <laughs> if this is the Venus of your career, I, I'm you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Francie, just... we may be joking around, but you've done so much for the investigators and the investigative industry and the investigative community, not just promoting uh, goodwill and professionalism through your through the airways, but also a lot of uh, hard work that you've put together to make the industry and the environment that we practice in a little bit easier and a little bit better for all investigators. I've seen you running upstairs at state houses and and through from Washington okay, D.C. to California, you, <laughs> you've done a lot. So Stop. I want to. I want to. If anybody, a lot of people that are benefiting that don't know what you do, I just want to thank you. So just thanks for everything you do. Well, you're you're very kind, George. You're very very kind. This show is really about you. Remember, uh, so okay. but. <laughs> but before we get started, I'd like to promote a couple of things. Speaking of promotion, uh, and they are the California Association of Licensed Investigator Conference and the National Association of Legal Investigator Conference. And it just so happens there, can you believe, at the same time. So the Cali Conference is June 24th through the 26th. And let me just tell you a little bit about this because this is online. This is a virtual conference. Anybody can log into this conference and register. And we have uh, some really fantastic speakers like a former uh, FBI agent and a former CIA agent. Of course, Cynthia Hen Hetherington on background checks. Uh, you know, we have all kinds of things. Patricia Fisher is going to be talking about forensic document examination and talking about the Zodiac Killer, if you've ever heard of that person. So it's exciting. That's what we have for, for Callie. Nally, on the other hand, is uh, they're having their annual conference June 23rd to the 25th. So people can't be both places at once. We have to work on this, George. Um, I I think I'm gonna I'm going to the Nally conference for sure, 100%. And I'm gonna yeah. use my tablet to watch the Cali conference. That's <laughs> oh, that's no. how I'm gonna like balance my way through this. Good for you. Good for you. So Nally is in San Antonio. Um, and uh, like I said, 23rd to 25th. You want to talk about that a little bit, George, because you have the in-depth knowledge about the Nally conference. Yeah, this is like we have we, we canceled our conference last year because of COVID. And uh, it's, we, it's, we've gone through many, many things 
throughout the whole year trying to like strengthen the association. And actually, it was a good uh, period where we all came together. Everybody comes together during the time of, of crisis or needs. And that's a, a, mm. one of the things I admire about Nally. And this conference is we just bursting at the seams to get there. And they put together a great lineup. I mean, the, the lineup is, is great. Even, you know, West Bear, uh, Bearden is going to be one of our first speakers there uh, mm-hmm. doing a presentation. Uh, Kevin McLean is doing interview techniques. Uh, there's uh, Ted Morales, Kelly Riddle, Paul Jabe. They're talking about different investigations, businesses, Mark Gillespie on forensic science, Matt Bears uh, talking a little bit about uh, marketing to PI attorneys, personal injury attorneys. Uh, Brian Collister uh, is um, going to be a keynote speaker at, at the end, and and they're making several uh, presentations for awards in the afternoon. That is like a must be there. Uh, there's some uh, group uh, dinners and uh, entertainment going in between the nights, and of course, like with any conference, we do we're having our uh, uh, CLI testing, and uh, that's going on, you know, simultaneously or the day before. So I'm I'm excited to go. I'm I just I can't wait to go to the, to the Alley conference. It's going to be uh, a, a a good event. Right so George the from the Alamo in Texas. Right, exactly. Let, let's back up a little bit uh, because I don't think everybody knows what a CLI testing is. So could you address that? Uh, the CLI is a certified legal investigator. It's the highest certification you could receive as a as a legal investigator. There's based on the who statistics you use, there's between some between forty five and eighty five thousand private investigators in the, in the, in the United States. And we have less than 80 of them that are certified legal investigators. And, um, there's a whole process and it it really, um, exemplifies the people that not only go through the process, do the testing get certified. And then there's a continuous, uh, uh, educational requirements to stay, uh, certified and, it's really a commitment to yourself, to your profession, to your clientele um, when somebody becomes a, a, a certified legal investigator. And uh, if you like, I can go through the steps of doing that. But I, there, the first step is, you know, they'll, they'll do a, a background check on you, make sure that you have the, the at least five years of experience and they do uh, – Make sure you have references from members of the bar that you are an ethical uh, character. And then what uh, everyone has to write a white paper on any investigative topic. It's a research paper or a case study and uh, something that if you write it down, that will help promote the business or help educate other investigators. And you submit that. And that's the, the first part of the test. And then uh, you can do that prior to actually flying in and, and taking uh, the test. Um, once you pass that, then the next portion of the test is, uh, is divided into three sections. There's a practical exam where they just, it's kind of like 
They give you a scenario, whether you prefer criminal defense or uh, liability, civil liability. They'll give you an assignment. They'll just hand you a piece of paper like an attorney would hand you and say, this is what we need done. We need you to go interview this person. And then you'll go in and you, you kind of show them your stuff, what you, what, how you do it, how do you get the statement from the individual, while at the same time being monitored, uh, like role-playing and being monitored. And then you type, you, you write up uh, uh, your report and you turn it in and you get graded on your performance during that. And then the, you, the second uh, portion is an oral exam where uh, the proctors or other CLIs are interviewing you, asking you hypothetical questions, uh, challenging you. Uh, and then uh, if, if and the third portion of that uh, of, of the daily exam is uh, a written exam, which they give you the materials to study. And it, a lot of it is based on experience, on your knowledge, and on the uh, protocols of a legal investigator. And uh, you have to pass at least 70% or more on all the, on all the sections. If, some, if for some, some people have passed certain sections and not passed other sections, you can retake that other section within the last, with the next year. And that people have done that, um, yeah. that to get certified. You know, when, when I took it, I thought like I passed the kidney stone when it was all said and done. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way. Good description. I felt the same way. I, I knew I had failed it totally. <laughs> and, and then, and then you feel like you've been exposed because everybody knows you're taking the CLI test that day. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think that's one of one of the fears that uh, many. I think there's a lot of good investigators that don't take the test or don't yeah. uh, sign up to take the test because they feel that oh, what if I what if I fail? Mm-hmm. What are you watching? Well, I exactly. and, and I I thought about that and I'm like, what do I care? I'll just take it again. I'll eventually, I think I'll pass it. If I fail, up I won't fail all all the sections. But I'll I was, tell you uh, that held me back uh, for a while. It did, um, and. We should say, George, that you don't have to be a NALI member to take the CLI exam to go through the process. You know, it, yeah, right? that's, that's true. You don't you don't have to. You just uh, any anybody that meets the qualifications uh, can take it. It's a it's a national. It's actually a, a separate committee, uh, mm-hmm. an independent committee that uh, processes everything and does the certifications through uh, through NALI. And uh, you don't have to be a member. Uh, you just have to meet the qualifications and pass the tests and you can get certified. I mean, I, I, I don't know why anybody would be a legal investigator and not be part of NALI. That, <laughs> right. that would be shocking to me. <laughs> Beyond comprehension. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, but just a, a shout out to a couple of people you mentioned, Wes Bearden, who you mentioned that's going to be a speaker is the president of NCISS, uh, National Council Investigating Security Services. Um, Kelly Riddle, also on the board of NCISS, is the organizer of this conference. And from what I gather from reading everything and seeing all the comments, uh, he's done just a, a kick job doing this. And so uh, yeah, shout out he, to those two guys as well. Yeah, bang, he's done a bang-up job, bang-up job. And one, one of the things that I didn't uh, mention, and since we're talking about the CLI exam, there is going to be during the during our lunch on the on the twenty fourth, uh, Don Johnson 
and John LaJoy, which are both CLI members for, uh, I know Don Johnson is over 20 years a CLI. And uh, um, if John, if John LaJoy is not 20 years, he's getting close to that. They're going to do a presentation during lunch, uh, demystifying the CLI exam to like ex- help people, encourage people to actually, uh, like I said, there's a lot of people that may be qualified that don't, uh, for one reason or another, have that fear or that anxiety of taking that test. So they're going to try to like make it a little bit easier, a little uh, bit uh, friendlier, and take that uh, fear away from people, so we can get some more people uh, to actually test themselves and and uh, uh, create a more of a benefit to their 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 profession, their clientele, and to themselves. Yeah, very good. So, folks, if you can't afford or don't feel like health or COVID allows you to attend the NALI conference, you can log on to the virtual conference of Cali, June 24th to 26th. And uh, a couple of names I didn't mention, I will say, (laughs) interesting, this is an interesting topic, guys. Uh, There's one by Peter Gallo called Where Where Babies Come From. DNA and its uses in investigation. Everybody should <laughs> log on to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, license plate readers, background checks, uh, which I mentioned by Cynthia Hatherington. Um, keynote speaker is locating and hunter, hunting terrorists through data analysis. So that should be very interesting. And that is the uh, Anata Bacos from former CIA agent. So we've got some interesting things. And, and if you can go to the NALI conference, do what George did and log on and join Kelly as well, virtually. So uh, thanks, George, for filling us in on all that. Um, no so problem. We're gonna, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and if if you want to log, log in to either one of these and look them up, NALI's website is N-A-L-I online. Uh, where to go? Um, oh, you can go Nally.com. Yeah. Nally.com will take you. Yeah, Nally.com. Oh, N-A-L-I.com. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Callie's is a little more comp- complicated. It's Callie, C-A-L-I hyphen P-I dot org. Okay. So we're going to talk about the standards you've been putting together, George. Tell us about that. Well, one of the things uh, that had happened, I uh, was also elected as president of uh, the Indiana Society of Professional Investigators mm-hmm. in um, Indiana is the state association we have here. And we took on a project uh, back in 2019 that we completed in uh, 2020, uh, putting together what uh, we call the uh, Indiana or the INSPI quality standards for investigative firms. Um, as you know, that there's many uh Good investigators that uh, get into the business of investigations, private sector investigations, but really don't have any idea of of business or running a firm or what to do beyond the certain uh, investigative activities that they do, gathering you know information. So, and investigators come from such a wide variety and diverse um, backgrounds that we've kind of like created a, a hodgepodge of everybody doing everything a little bit on how uh, on their own. So 
we put we put this project together to kind of develop acceptable standards. Uh, what would be acceptable for the industry to measure quality? To mm-hmm. the, the, the complexities of what we do are are so difficult that we can't just have let the let the buyer beware mentality, which is what we've been having. It's kind of like the Wild West. Let the buyer beware. If you don't like them, go somewhere else. But we have such a complex product or service that that really is unfair to the consumer. Uh, it's, mm. it's really unfair to the people that use use our services. So we wanted to kind of put something together that's an acceptable um, standard. And it's a guide. And the guide that we put together is not – uh, something that you would practice on, but it's the guide that uh, each individual firm would use to create their own standards. Uh, and we, it's three different sections that we we developed. It's and this guide is available uh, to, to any Inspire member. We've given it all to every Inspire member, and uh, any non-Inspire member could get it at uh, the IndianaInvestigators.com. Could just uh, uh, order it at, uh, the virtual. Uh, um, the e version of it, uh, and I don't know if there's a, there might be a minimum cost on it or, or what have you. But anybody listening to the Francie Kohler show, if they email me uh, direct, I'll get them a an e version of that for free. But uh, so where where would they email you, George? Uh, email me to uh, g gergis at isu hyphen net dot com. G G E R G I S at isu-net.com and just ask for the standards guide, the uh, Inspire uh, Quality Standards Guide, and I'll get it to them. Uh, so you want to, George, um, you want to you say what INSPI stands for? Indiana Society of Professional Investigators. Okay, great. Thank so you. So it's, it's an acronym. IN is Indiana, then Society of Professional Investigators. Yeah, we have um, we have a lot of people that are not investigators on this show. So uh, when we talk with acronyms, they probably don't know what we're talking about. So thank you. No problem. I try to remember that. And um, you know, we had we investigators. You know, private sector investigators. They play a, a very important key roles in our in our our whole country in our society. You know, we help facilitate justice. We assist with the honest commerce of business. We assist with individuals, and we allow individuals to handle personal affairs in the private manner that every individual citizen is entitled to. Um, so conducting that, like I said, is very, it's a very complex thing. So what we did is our, our standard guide divides the standards into three sections. One is the first section addresses the individual investigator, the ethics and uh, the behavioral, the behaviors that we expect from the individual investigator. And every association and INSPI has our, our, um, uh, our, ethic, our ethical code of conduct. Nally has it, Kelly has it, and they're very similar. You know, they address the professional relations. Uh, they address uh, relations with the client and the public. They address uh, how an investigator would interact with others. Uh, but we also put together what we call the general standards and the quality standards. And those are based for and directed towards the firm, 
or the investigative unit, not necessarily the business end of the oper- operations. Because when you're doing a when you're doing an investigative firm, you're you're really dividing it into three sections. There's the business of the of the investigative firm. There's the management of the investigative unit, and there's the investigative events. What you know, what we do and we get we get paid for it. And you know, we divide everything into, you know six investigative events that that uh, that we do and and every investigator does that. That's gathering information, analyzing the information, documenting the information, preserving the information, communicating that information, and then the sixth one is testifying. Um, when um and presenting that information or in the in the legal proceedings, and if we're doing any of those things, we're charging money for. But um, you know, when you're doing business operations, when you're doing sales, and, and this is a little complex. With and this is where I say hodgepodge. Many investigators say, "Well, I was you know I was out selling, and so I was charging by the hour." Well, you can you really charge somebody for putting together an invoice? Or is it part of the investigative event that you're selling? Or is it part of your marketing duties? Um, you could obviously, you know, charge for anything that we, the service that we that we provide. But um, so we, we just kind of like break it down. And huh. uh, so, you know, in the general standards, there's two of them. And it's basically qualifications, which just basically says, you know, if you're going to take on a job, be qualified to do that job, at least collectively, have proficient knowledge to do the task that's required. If you can't, well, then talk- somebody working for your firm should have that, you know. Let's talk about that for a minute because uh, we just okay. had our training for newly licensed investigators last Saturday, and we have that a couple of times a year. And that is one of the questions is if you – um, if you don't have the expertise, say you're you're a workers' comp investigator, and all you do is work for insurance companies on uh, cases that involve potential fraud uh, for workers' comp, and you get a call from an attorney to do a criminal defense investigation, what do you do with that? Yeah, if your firm doesn't have somebody that has that expertise, or you don't know anybody that has that expertise. You know, taking that case that's beyond your expertise is really below standard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's below our, our the guidelines of our standards. You don't necessarily. I don't have to know everything. You don't have to know everything. But collectively, as a firm, if you take on that job, you should be able to handle that job. Um, what and it doesn't mean that. Uh, you can't take that job as an investigative firm, but that means the person that you hired to handle that investigation should uh, be qualified to handle that investigative task. And maybe right. you don't know much about criminal defense, or maybe you don't know much if you're, maybe you're a criminal defense, because uh, that, that happens as well, too. There's many people that go from criminal defense that take on an insurance job, mm-hmm. and they don't know what to look for when you're doing the surveillance, or you'll do a child custody surveillance and they'll go, we're just doing, it's the same thing. It's not, it's not the same thing. You're looking for uh, different objectives. So you should have um, either grab that, grab that knowledge so you can continue to do that kind of work or work with somebody 
you know, it's okay to, you can manage somebody and be a manager of an investigation, even if you don't know what, uh, how, how that particular investigation is being done, as long as they're getting you the information and they're following the standards that, uh, the, uh, of gathering the information, and then they can use their expertise to make those recommendations. And then you're, as a manager, you, uh, as a case manager or, uh, you're putting together the information and you're reviewing the quality and you're making a decision if that makes sense or not. And then you could, as a, as a business uh, owner or um, business person, you can present that service or product to your client. But unless mm. you go through the proper steps, you can't, I just can't say, Oh, I'm going to start doing um, computer forensics. And I don't know anything about computer forensics. But if I can take on a job as computer forensic and I have three people that I could use to are going to do the computer forensics for me, uh, they provide me the report and then I could present that to my client. Um, right. So, yeah, that's that, that's a very uh, you know, that's the main general standard is make sure that you're proficient in what you're selling and exactly. collectively as a firm. Exactly. And so how do you, what do you think, George, of, because some people respond with, well, I'll just, uh, I'll subcontract it out. What do you well, think of that? Well, that's not a, uh, it's not bad, it's not a, a bad um, a way of doing business. And there's many firms, many, many firms that have employees and many firms that use a subcontractor model to uh, uh, conduct a lot of work and but, you know, no matter what model you're, you're using, now we have to go back and talk about um, the business end of it and, you know, the contractual relationship you have with the subcontractor, uh, the licensing and the insurance of the subcontractor, because all that is now part of your business. Uh, you, who are you going to give it to? How have you vetted that subcontractor? And what kind of... Uh, non-disclosure agreements you have with them and, and and things of that nature. So that's part one of like doing your business. And then does the subcontractor meet the qualifications of doing that? That's I, I see nothing wrong with bringing in a freelancer or, uh, you know, a subcontractor to assist with a specific task. Okay. Okay. That's, that's fair. So what, what other kinds of standards are there that you're addressing? The, the, next, the next one is the due professional care. You know, professional care must be done in being used in conducting all investigations and preparing all reports. And that, again, you know, you don't want to do anything that's going to harm the general public or harm the, uh, your client. Or you've got to, you've got to use, um, you know, common sense and, and professional care. And uh, how you put it together um, is, um, um, you know, you got to be thorough with your investigations. You got to make sure that, you know, the tasks that you do meet the legal requirements. You can't just you take it on a task. Uh, for example, criminal defense, where there's different thresholds, proof thresh, thresh, thresholds uh, in the criminal case, and there are in um, Civil cases, so you you got to know this stuff. You know, use appropriate techniques. You can't use techniques that are illegal or hazardous techniques. 
you have to keep your uh, you have to be impartial, objective, and you got to proceed in an ethical manner uh, when you're doing um, uh, your investigations. Um, so then, when you put together a, a procedural manual for your firm, got to put all that into got to take that all into consideration with any type of service that you like you offer. Um, well, and the reason this is so important. I was just going to oh, say no, the reason ahead. this. Is so important, George, is because private investigators have a bad reputation. No matter how you cut it, we are uh, subject to the movies and the TV and the the um, book portrayals of what a private investigator does and who we are, and which is completely very, very, very far from fact. So yeah, we have, we, we're fighting that's, that's that. One on, of the biggest obstacles. Yeah, fighting that on a daily basis. And that's the obstacles we're fighting, not only with the general public, but it, it falls into the, the government entities that regulate us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when they're trying to regulate us, there's, there's, there's states that, believe it or not, that removing licensing from uh, investigators that don't want to regulate. They just want to just let anybody be an investigator. Um because they don't understand the the complexities of what we do and the roles like we talked at the beginning. There's some key roles that we that we play as investigators, and um, we come into possession of a, of a lot of information and, and involved in many many facets of uh, individuals. Um, so the the next the next section that, that we we talked about is you know we talked about the, our qualifications and our due care. To professional care. The next section of our, our guide is uh, quality. How do you measure quality as, a, as an investigator? How do you know that one investigative firm is providing quality over another one? Um, Good question. So we, we, t- so we take that and we, we uh, break it down into like four sections. Now, one is planning. You know, Proper planning, not operational. You know, when you take on a case, how are you going to plan that case? You know, executing that investigation. Um, the investigation, you know, must be conducted timely, efficiently, thoroughly, in an objective manner. You know, can can you do the investigation in a timely manner? What is a, a, a proper, uh, uh, timely manner for um, that particular case? It's kind of like an attorney who's taken on way too many cases that can't, there's no way that he's able, able to like try them all or, or to handle them all. Same thing. Can we don't take on more cases than your firm can handle? Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to say, I'm too busy or be honest with uh, the people that uh, are hiring you. You know, I've, I remember one client, I said, I, I can't get to your case for 60 days. I've, I've become like the DNA lab. <laughs> Communication, and sixty <laughs> days later, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it because we, we were we were so so busy. But our standard turnaround time is usually thirty days, and if we can't turn it around, turn around a, an investigative assignment in thirty days, we have to be honest with our clients and and say, hey, we we're going to turn this around. It looks like you know forty five days or sixty days, um, but what is what, at some point it becomes re- unreasonable and not. Ex- what kind of a response did you get when you said 60 days? What, what did they say? Well, some clients, you know, ask me to recommend somebody else or uh, some go ahead and give me the case. You know, it, it, 
it's just so, but they know ahead of time, you know, what, what it's going to take to, to turn it around. Um, if it's an urgent manner, uh, you know, they, they may go to somebody else to do it. If it's, if it's not, if it's something like criminal defense, many times are, you know, especially with COVID, everything's just getting delayed and delayed and continued and continued. So, um, the 60 day turnaround time is not a, a, a big deal. Um, but on other matters where, you know, you're going to go to trial or you've got something that you're trying to negotiate for, for, for some kind of a case, you know, that might be a, a, a big deal. So, but we try to get everything turned around and, you know, now we're back to kind of like normal uh, where we're getting things turned around within 20 to 30 days which is like regular standard turnaround time. But once you see that, you know, your resources are tied up and you can't do that, you have to either stop taking cases or have a procedure in mind, you know, whatever your, whatever your operation is going to be, but, you know, make sure you're executing the investigative assignments in a timely, efficient and thorough, thorough manner. And just because, you know, you're, if you take too much on, you still have to do justice to the other cases too. You know, for sure. Uh, for sure. And then we have a reporting standards where, you know, when you're reporting something to your clients, you know, it has to be accurate, clear, complete, logical, you know, objective. And not only in the, the reporting of the facts in the investigation, but also in your billing. You know, when you're when you're billing something to your client and you're asking them for, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and you're sending them one line bill that says you owe me so many thousands of dollars and you don't explain it. Um, mm-hmm. How would you feel if you got a bill? We're not, you know, that's how I feel every time I get something from the hospital, <laughs> I got to call right. up and get an explanation, right. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so um, then one of the things that we're, we're overlooking is uh, management of investigative information. We're responsible for the information that we get in. Uh, and, you know, now it's 2021. A lot of the information is in digital formats. How are we storing that information? How are we maintaining it? How are we protecting it? How are we protecting sensitive data? You know, all these laws are coming up, you know, uh, privacy protection, driver's privacy protection. And, you know, we have to, like, police ourselves or people will start policing us on how we use and manage that information. So there has to be a standard for that for every investigative firm. Um, how are you going to manage and store and maintain your files? And, you know, with criminal defense, you, you know this, uh, France, because I think you do a lot of post-conviction work. There's cases and files that are back from the 90s that I'm looking at investigative mm-hmm. reports. Um, So we have to maintain them in some uh, fashion. So we have that responsibility as professionals and we have to maintain, you know, certain standards. So we we put this guide together uh, to help, uh, you know, because it is a challenge. It's it's a very uh, challenging and it's a changing business environment for professional investigators. So we wanted to, to put something together to have it in writing because we haven't seen it anywhere, anything similar to it anywhere. And, uh, you know, having something that may potentially be acceptable business practices or an acceptable method of practicing private investigations 
um, just like any other profession, um, uh, is uh, is a bonus. And so, I would challenge anybody to look at it, to review it, to say, hey, maybe we should add this. Maybe uh, this is too much or whatever, whatever. And we would, you know, we can make uh, adaptations to it. But this is a guide that could help every, any, doesn't matter what kind of investigations you do. The fundamentals are, are, are the certain fundamentals uh, apply to any investigative firm, no matter what type you're doing, criminal, administrative law, personal injury, you know, domestic, you can take this guide and you could implement it into your, your uh, procedural manuals in any investigative firm. Well, so George, what, what occurs to me, frankly, is when I'm listening to the criteria you're providing, uh, Profession, professional means it's a kind of an elusive concept. It means different things to different people. You know, what I might think is professional may not be what somebody else who's a private investigator thinks is professional. So how do you address those kind of things? Well, that's why we put the guide together and we go through, <laughs> you know, a step-to-step, step step, you know, guide in there. And don't forget, we you know, we call... Um, we call it a practice, you know, investigative practice, because we're always practicing. You know, nobody True. is actually ever mastering it. You're always, you're always practicing. But uh, you should practice as a as a professional. Somebody told me, uh, gave me an example once. Uh, what's the difference between practicing as a professional and practicing as an amateur? Uh, an amateur ice skater will go out on the ice and they will. Uh, do a, a, a double spin and uh, land it perfectly. And then they'll go out again and they'll do a double spin and they'll land it perfectly. A professional ice skater will do a triple spin and fall flat on their face and do a triple spin again until they could master it. And mm-hmm. the, that's the practicing deliberately, practicing with a, a deliberate practice is what makes somebody a professional rather than an amateur. So what is the deliberate practice? trying to improve yourself on a daily basis. Be better today than you were yesterday. Be better tomorrow than you are today. And implement uh, standards and procedures into your practice that will accomplish that. Don't Mm -hmm. let that, don't allow yourself to reach that plateau. There was uh, a study back that I had read a while back that every professional reaches a plateau. a um, accountant or an engineer, after seven years of practice, will reach the same. Will you'll get the same service or same knowledge from a seven uh, an, an accountant that has seven years of practice as you would from a 15-year accountant? And I just refuse to believe that. Investigators, mm-hmm. most of them are about um, cert- depending on what you're doing. You know, they're looking for three, four years, and then they think that. You, if you hire a three, four-year-old, three, four-year experienced investigator, then you get the same as somebody that has practiced for 15 years. I personally refuse to believe that, but there's a deliberate practice how I how I practice my business and how I practice my trade. Uh, 
So George, let's let's just take that right there and talk about you a little bit uh, instead of because uh, we're we've I think we've covered the uh, quality standards for investigators. We'll come back to that. We're almost at the end of our hour, but I would like to have our listeners hear what your a quick brief overview of your background and how long you've you've been in business and how you got to the, the this point here. Well, I've been doing this since 1990. So I've been doing this for a long time, and I've done a lot of uh, I've worked for large companies, a lot of larger corporate companies, international companies, and national companies. And I and when you're working for large companies, you're it's always about um, revenue, revenue, billable hours, billable hours. And I just got tired of practicing that way, and I wanted to change the way that I practice, and I. I wanted to practice with um, having a case-centered approach. And sometimes, you know, a client may give you a large budget, but you don't need it. And sometimes they don't give you a large budget, but you need it. So Uh I I just changed the the way that I practiced. So work efficiently and effectively to get the best results possible for the client. And I went on my own, and and that's the best thing I did uh, for me. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I think me and you have uh, shared this because we have been doing this for such a long time. Um, we we see we've seen things in our career that investigators that are starting today and started ten years ago will never see that mm-hmm. the, the, the computer, you know. Um, and many investigators that started when we started are no longer doing what we're doing because True. they didn't adapt uh, to it. You know, we bring the wisdom of the past with the technology of the future, and we have to, like, maintain that. So that's kind of like a little uh, niche that we have, and we're just, like, kind of lucky to uh, be in it and, and continue to learn and learn as, as we were going um, there's no way we can do the things that, uh, today as we did it back in 1990, we, it's totally different. So, so you, you like, like I, like me did not come from law enforcement. So we're kind of an anomaly. Yes, a, a little bit. And, um, I always get a chuckle when I, re- I, I, uh, listen to your show and you ask, how did you get into this business? How did mm-hmm. you become an investigator? And you've, I think you said it many times, every, most people come into this by accident. Yep. And I kind of listen intently when your guests say, start to talk about how they came into this business. And I'm listening to their tone and their tonality is changing because I'll be honest with you, the majority of the people in this business are birthed into it through some kind of failure. Something happened in their life mm-hmm. that failed, and then they ended up taking this on. And uh, the the good ones, the ones that stayed in it, making a living, they're uh, uh, were made for this business. And it, it's very complex. There's a lot of complexities to it, and uh, it is a, a difficult. It's very difficult to stay in business. That's why. And I, I remember when I'm training people, I tell them, 
the investigators that are investigators today, 50% of them will not be investigators three years from now. 75% of them will not be investigators five years from now. And there's a big mm. turnover, and there's there's a reason for that, because it is very difficult to, to be in it. But for if you sure. want to talk about my, my, my failures that birthed me into this <laughs> business, I'll be happy to talk to you about it. <laughs> well, I think we're going to have to save that for another time, George. <laughs> but uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I just want to uh, go back and review uh, the INSPI Quality Standards for Investigations Guide. 2020. And I have to tell you that while we've been talking, I ordered it for myself. It's $49. Uh, and you can go, I, can you get this on Nally.com as well? No, you can't. It's on Indiana Investigators. Um, okay. .com. Yeah. So if you put in, just put Indiana Association of Professional Investigators in Google, you'll get it. And it says that it covers ethical yeah, there's behavior. Two, there's, there's two. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Francis. There's two investigative associations in Indiana, and there's a there's INSPI. So it's Indiana Society of Professional Investigators. If you Google that, you'll get it. Uh, IndianaInvestigators.com. You'll get that. So. Okay. So it it covers ethical behavior and standards for investigators, general standards for investigators, and quantitative st qualitative standards for investigators. So forty nine dollars, folks. Um, I think it's I think it's well worth uh, the forty nine dollars for sure. So we're going to have to close. And the forty-nine dollars, we. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. The forty-nine dollars, we just use it to help promote the the industry. It's a nonprofit organization. Great. Thank you so much, George. This has been great. Love talking to you. And for the rest of you, all it's PIS declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for sharing your time. You've been listening to PIS declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.